Tonight on This Is Vinyl Tap, there are women and some will hold you. Burn it down to stay alive. It's our only chance of living. And it's no good getting angry. We must try to act our age. In 1948, Columbia Records introduced the 33 and a third RPM long player record. One year later, RCA Victor introduced the 45 RPM single. Listeners now had a choice, only the hits or the full album. In the last half of the 60s, the best bands realized the potential of the longer format and began to build a cohesive body of music that must be heard unbroken. The arrival of downloadable music has increased the temptation to stay in the shallow end with the hits. This podcast believes every album tells a story. Tonight, we tell one of those stories. Good evening from This is Vinyl Tap. As you can tell tonight, I am Tony Slagle. I will be your host for this evening's soiree. He's Um, not always (laughs) the host, but he is always Tony. (laughs) <laughs> that is right. And uh, and tonight we're doing another hybrid sort of podcast. I am actually remote and the two our two other gentlemen are in the vinegaroon. I'm always, as always, joined by our estimable, estimable, is that the right way to say that? Estimable, Host, yeah. Doug Cooper. Hello, everybody. And From the course, American West. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, our very humble producer, Jonathan Jamro. Good evening, Tapsters. And tonight we are talking about the 1970 LP by Elton John, Tumbleweed Connection. His third album under the name Elton John and his third collaboration with his writing partner, Bertie Taupin. It's, uh, it's the album that established him as an album artist and a serious music, a serious musician of some note. And this was a Doug pick. So I'm going to ask Mr. Cooper, Doug. Yes. Why did you pick this Elton John album? Well, there's, there's a lot of good reasons. Number one, I decided to move off of the year 1971. <laughs> <laughs> it was a stretch. Yeah. Since we started doing this, I knew I was going to do an Elton John album. And the reason I knew that is because it was one of the two first albums I ever had. I think I was in about seventh grade, and my uncle gave me America's Greatest Hits and Elton John's Greatest Hits. Uh, Shortly after that, my dad indulged himself and bought a nice stereo, which he never had time to listen to. But uh, I listened to those uh, songs without stop. I became pretty enamored with Elton John. I I thought it was, of course, that Greatest Hits album had all those Crocodile Rock, Your Song, all Benny and the Jets. In fact, when I played Benny and the Jets, I used to turn down the stereo because I thought he was saying buns on my chest. Ha, ha, ha. 
<laughs> and I didn't want to get in trouble. <laughs> but uh, one of one of the things about Elton John is he has the most misunderstood lyrics of any artist <laughs> yeah, on earth. Yeah. And you uh, mean when you mean what you mean by that is that people mishear them. Well, and he also he's a great singer. He sings vowels. Um, but what, but what I mean by that is he focuses on the vowels and forgets the others, the consonants. Yeah. He, what he what lets, I mean, what I mean by that is you're not saying that they're misunderstood meaning wise. You mean they're misunderstood that people mishear them. Yeah. That, yeah. uh, it's, uh, there's some video where people are trying to say what the words to rocket man are <laughs> and it's all over the place. And yeah. I think people have heard that song a thousand times. And they have no idea he's saying, burning up the fuse up here alone. I don't think they know that he's saying it. <laughs> anyway, back to this, uh, why did I do? So that's why Elton John. Elton John was, I, I remember saying Jackson Brown was my favorite, but I forgot about Elton John because he was my favorite first when I was a pretty young kid. And uh, so it was obvious I was going to do one of Elton John's albums. Initially, I thought it was going to be Captain Fantastic because that's such a fun album. I started wobbling between these two albums, and finally, uh, the thing that tipped it for me, I think the songs on here are a little better, and Captain Fantastic has great songs, but it got it got um, zapped with a little of the uh, the Mirabal. There, yeah. there are some uh, mid-70s mid taint on that album. I, just, that, that kind of cripples it. Yeah, that's one of the things I want to say about this album. It, it it seems like this may be the most raw of of uh, Elton John's albums, and I think that it also seems like they're Elton John and Bernie Taupin are still kind of figuring each other out, like how they're how how do they write together. But that's one of the things I like about it is that there is. Some of that sheen, some of that polish isn't there yet. And some of the you know, the songs aren't necessarily all that arranged. Well, I, I think Jam, you're you're right on that, but I don't think it's for I don't think it's because this is early on. I think that was a conscious effort. I think the Elton John album is plenty polished. I think he he wanted this album to sound this way. Uh, both of them did, wanted it to be sort of stripped of all that orchestration. And, well, we um, we ought to mention that this is his Third, third. This album. is his third, yeah. third album. I, I just thought I mentioned that, but maybe yeah, I they have. I can't remember um, stuff. Yeah. But uh, the other thing, I think uh, you you'll be pleased to know, Doug, that this is his favorite his favorite album from this time period, right? And it, it, I think we uh, talked about uh, who was it? Uh, Van Morrison had that run. Bob Dylan had a run. Elton John has a run that basically goes from nineteen seventy the the Elton John album to and. And Captain Fantastic is what I call his plane wreck album, meaning if he if he had died right after that album, it wouldn't have mattered too much. <laughs> I, and I'm not saying he didn't do good things later, but nothing as great as this run. You know, Madman Across the Water, Goodbye Yellow Brick Road, Don't Shoot, I'm Only the Piano Player. Yeah. Uh, and of course, uh, Hunky Chateau is yeah. just absolutely fantastic. Hunky Chateau is the first one where they put a guitar player into the band, and uh, Elton John credits that with changing everything. And and Benny says it, or Bernie says it changed the uh, 
Changed the way he wrote lyrics. While more leasers and bad hatters, sons of bankers, sons of lawyers, turn around and say good morning to the night. For unless they see the sky, but they can, and that is why. They know not if it's dark outside or light. Well, well, wait a minute. When you say a guitar player in the band, you mean, like, what does that mean? There's a guitar player all over this album. Well, yeah, he, he had, didn't. but he, but we'll get to that later. He but. wasn't really. Yeah, we'll probably talk about that later, but there were two guys. A drummer and a bass player and Elton John for most of Oh, the, you mean when they played live? Yeah, and, when, and, and I yeah. think when they were... Eventually that became... When they're the, making the sound, they're thinking that, rather than, here comes this guy to add some licks. Because there is well, great guitar playing on here. Yeah. No question about uh, that. Fantastic. I know we're going to talk about... Well, I'll get to it when we talk about the lyrics. You can't uh, wait to talk just, about Nick Rumson. <laughs> just, just getting back just getting back to uh, to the rustic thing, it, it's, it's re- it was really interesting to find out the sort of love-hate relationship Elton John had with with your song, um, which was off of the album previous to this, and uh, how he, it made him made him assess where he wanted to go, and he didn't want to be one of these top of the pops hit guys. And so that song, as popular as it was, I think he felt a little bit like it was an albatross around his neck, and he wanted to shake himself free of it. And this album was a, a way to do that. Oddly enough, that so- the single that contained um, your song on it was released, I think, a matter of weeks before Tumbleweed Connection was released. So there's a lot of confusion yeah. from, the, well, gen, from the, the record by public about that song in this album. <laughs> well, there's a whole lot of... I mean, he released so much in such a short period of time, and, and it's really difficult to wade through all of that stuff. And... Um, um, like how many albums did he release in 1971? Something like three or four. And I think technically in the United States, Tumbleweed Connection was released in 71, but it was released in 1970 in England. He was, yeah, he was well, in a pretty it, fertile period of his life and just seemed like he was just churning out songs after song. And, and he, again, I come back to he and Bernie Toppin were just, they were really trying to figure out what they could do together. Well, well they, one thing they, they could do is write songs really fast. They, yeah. yeah, they talk about that. Uh, supposedly, Bernie could knock out lyrics in about an hour. You give him Elton John, and he would take about a half an hour to write the tune. And if he couldn't write something that fast, he'd toss the lyrics aside, <laughs> um, which yeah. is pretty funny. Well, you know, they were just a machine. We, we probably and, uh, back and, up a little bit and uh, talk about where this Elton John guy came from. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I'll try to hit some of the high points. Just get this out in the open. Uh, he was not born Elton John. He actually officially changed his name to Elton Hercules John in 1972. So he was even recording under a name that he wasn't legally known as. But he was born as Reggie Dwight. And up until that first Elton John, not Elton John, but um, what's the first album called? Uh, Empty Sky. Yeah, Empty Sky, right before Empty Sky. Which is I a, guess a good of, album, too. Yeah, it is. A couple of singles, he was he, he was not recording under that name. 
So just wanted to get that out because it's going to be confusing to talk about red Reg Dwight when I'm really mean Elton John. So I'm just know that before 1969 or so he was not known as Elton John, but we're going to call him that anyway. Get that out. And one of the things you got to understand about this guy, there's a lot of people that sit down at a piano who are uh, big pop stars, but they're not Elton John type of piano player. This is this a guy that sings and plays piano this well is something we haven't even gotten close. Yeah, this is one of the things I I was going to have in my notes. He is a phenomenal uh, piano player. His his timing is impeccable. I mean, he absolutely never misses. If you if you listen to other piano players like Elton John, I mean, uh, like. Jackson Brown or Paul McCartney, you can just kind of tell that they don't hit the notes at exactly well, the right time. They're never doing. They're never doing anything difficult. Yeah, they're never doing anything. Well, but even Elton John, when he's not doing something difficult, can make it really difficult. He he was a prodigy. I mean, he oh, he, he was. Yeah. He surprised his mom when he was three and a half by playing the Skaters Waltz. Kind of freaked her out. He ends up. You know, he ends up when he's 11 getting accepted into the Royal Academy of Music as a junior exhibitioner. It's kind of funny while he's there, he's attending he's attending that school at the same time with Paul Buckmaster. Really? Is the string arranger on, on this that. album and many other albums. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, Chris Thomas is also attending that school. <laughs> oh, really? Royal Academy of Music. Wow. Yeah. So a little bit of a uh, minor connections, minor connections, I guess. I, I um, love the interviews with his piano teacher. Um, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> Mrs. Jo- Mrs. Jones. Yes, she's so fond of him. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other well, thing, yeah, but, I mean, the guy was uh, the the guy. I'm sure was a delight to have to have somebody like that that you could be like, look who my student is. You know? So, but the thing um, about him is he can he. He does not when he plays. He does not necessarily need a band. I mean, he is his playing is so full. I mean, and a lot of times you you don't even concentrate on the rest of the band because he is so he's filling up everything. Right. But he rarely takes a solo. You ever notice that? Well, it, he, he he doesn't take a solo, but he'll go hog wild on some things. He'll like go hog wild, yeah, a friend, but, or on on this album, he yeah. Uh, with the burn down the mission. Oh yeah. As he's, he goes hog wild is a perfect, perfect phrase for that. <laughs> yeah, song. But he did, but like, yeah, you just say, Hey, I want to hear an Elton, like name an Elton John piano solo. You know, you can't well, really do I, it. I tell you in my research, I came across, I was listening to him play jazz. Wow. And if you told me it was a jazz, a professional jazz musician, he was playing come down in time. And it it sounded like any jazz musician you would hear, it just perfectly competent playing with. The, I guess there's a stand up bass doing all the jazz things. Wow! It was very impressive. I don't think we've talked about anybody else who could hold their own with the jazz combo. Well, uh-huh. As I said, the guy was a prodigy. I mean, he uh, at 13 he gets a residency at this neighborhood pub called the Northwood Hills, playing every Friday and Saturday and Sunday for a whole year. His dad, his stepdad, gets him a. Uh, gets him a, a job there 
And the funny thing, I love the story about that because he was pretty square at that point. He had like a little tweed jacket and short <laughs> hair and he wore a collar and a tie. And of course, he wore glasses, but not because he needed them. He wore glasses because he loved Buddy Holly and he <laughs> wanted to emulate Buddy Holly. Eventually, he needed them. But at that point in his life, he didn't. Oh, but wow. he sang like Jim Reeves songs and Cliff Richard songs. And occasionally he'd do roll out the barrel. He says he says in an interview he had to play when Irish eyes are smiling or he'd get a pint of beer poured on his head. So he did that. And evidently, Al Jolson songs were also pretty popular there. Um, but when he first started, so this 13-year-old kid is playing at this pub. When he first started, it was not popular. People would turn the PA off. They'd throw stuff at him. Jeez. But eventually, he got a reputation, and people started coming around, and he was earning 25 pounds a week, which is not too bad for a 13-year-old kid. At that <laughs> That's more than I was making at 13. <laughs> right. Probably more than I'm making um, now. <laughs> but uh, it's around that That's same time he starts his... He, he starts his uh, his first band called the Corvettes and he well, buys an electric. We, we ought to say what happened. Now, he was asked, you, you were probably on your way to be a concert musician. And he said, no. uh, he wanted to play rock and roll. He, his hand, he says, my fingers were too small. My hands are too small. And then he heard Jerry Lee Lewis and, and little Richard and little Richard. Richard. And that was it folks. Yeah. yeah I can't imagine uh, having an act for this and hearing something like little Richard have, or, or Jerry Lee Lewis and have it just blow the top of your head off, which is seem, seemingly what happened to him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, he starts his first band in 1972 called the Corvettes. He buys an electric piano and he joins up with this guy named Stuart, Stuart, Stu Brown, who's the actual lead singer and guitarist and a guy named Jeff Dyson on bass. And they eventually, they're just playing like children's parties, neighborhood parties and stuff. And, and, uh, they don't last very long and they break up, but out of the, out of the ashes of that band starts another band called bluesology. And that he forms that with the same guy Stu brown and they're named after a django reinhardt album called jangology uh, and they thought they'd just name themselves blues bluesology speaking of that yeah he keeps coming ladies and gentlemen it's time for a game of connections and this may be the mother of all games of connections i'm gonna go to tony first tony do you have a connection for the ladies and gentlemen out there tonight I'm going to try to pick one that I don't think either of you guys have, but you might. And that is the Jayhawks. I didn't have that one. I did not have that one. So Paul Buckmaster is the string arranger on Blue off of Tomorrow the Green Grass, which huh. is a, is a yeah, Jayhawks well, album. We yeah, did, we, so. we, yep. spoke about. JM, do you have one? And, oh, just the connection is that Paul Buckmaster is the string arranger on this album as well. Yep. Sorry. That's important to mention. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to do another more obscure one. Herbie Flowers. Oh, uh, yeah, that's an easy one. Yeah, he, was, he was the bass player on this album, and he was also the bass player on Transformer. Played, yeah, he's, the, he's the upright bass player on he's, this album. Well, he's yeah. a bass player on Walk, walk, walk on the Wild Side, walk which on the is a really popular yeah. bass like, yeah. exactly, exactly. Well, I'm gonna go ahead and throw one out there. Derek okay. and the Dominoes. He opened for them for a while. Oh, well, and his we got and a his, Leon uh, Russell connection. <laughs> yeah. Well, his love of that Bonnie Delaney stuff pushes him into the direction that the album of the album we're talking about tonight. Yeah. On his end of things. Okay, uh, this is an easy one. I mean, I it's not. Is it, uh, yeah, anybody want? Yeah, we could probably all say this. One, two, three. 
Mick Ronson Brown. No, I was gonna oh. say. <laughs> <laughs> don't try to be psychic on this show. Yeah. What were you going to uh, say? You, Tony's going to go to Mick Ronson. I was going to go Mick Ronson. I was going to say Bowie and uh, Pure Prairie League. Which and, no one got um, to hear, unfortunately. Yeah. Not, not yet. But, um, and Lou Reed. And, and, and the Lou Reed album. Uh, this, the reason I bring it up is Madman Across the Water was originally recorded during the sessions for Tumbleweed Connection. And Mick yeah. Ronson plays guitar on the version that was recorded for this album. Yeah. And that's a good his, song for him to do. It is. It is. I'm sorry, J.M. What, what about Jackson Brown? J.M. had Brown? one he thought everybody else was going to say. <laughs> I can't believe y'all haven't thought. Jackson Brown? Yeah. I, Rocky, Piano, Rock, Rock, uh, Rockaday Johnny? Rockaday Johnny. He a on Everyman. session player on Everyman, which yeah. I have here in my notes. So well, I guess. What about it, Rod it, Stewart? Ah, uh, yes. Rod Stewart. Well, Rod Stewart was in a band that Bluesology, yep. or played with a guy that Bluesology black, backed uh, up by the name of Long John, was it Long John Baldry? I, I remember that. I can't remember his name. That's a different yeah. one than I was thinking of. Oh, okay. Uh, Rod Stewart made a very famous cover of Country Comfort. Yeah, when we get to that, we'll talk about why Elton John hated it. Um, <laughs> but he also, but yeah, uh, uh, Long John Baldry, who essentially gave Bluesology kind of their big, big break by having him uh, back he backed them that that band backed him he also found kind of discovered rod stewart he was busking on a on a train station mm. and he liked him so he got him to play in his band but okay and i got my last one trident okay. studios that's where bowie recorded hunky dory at least i think he recorded he do um ziggy stardust and spiders from mars there as well well lou well, reed some, yeah did lou that reed as well was at uh triton yeah yeah, and so course, was Queen. So, so was Queen. Queen. Yeah. So there we go. That's that's connected all over the place. Uh-huh. And I think there's a bunch more. Uh, yeah, there's a bunch that we could probably bore everybody. He with. played. Uh, he, he was a session musician on a lot of. Yeah. Uh, the, I think the most famous song he was session musician on was uh, "He Ain't Heavy." He's my brother <laughs> for the Hollies. So. <laughs> anyway. Tony, we're you were moving right along with his history. Oh yeah, well, it's funny that you mentioned uh, being a session musician because Bluesology, the band that he was in, um, he uh, <laughs> one of the things they did was they they were one of these bands that touring American artists would come to the UK and these guys would back them up, um, and so they backed up. They were kind pretty- of the bargain bands. Yeah, exactly. But the, it, they got it kind of a, a inauspicious start. Um, they were booked to play to back Wilson Pickett, who had just had a top twenty hit in the UK with "In the Midnight Hour," Jeez. and Wilson Pickett sends his music guy over, his music director, to hear them. And they were a little rawer than they were, you know, that that w- Wilson Pickett's guy was expecting. And after going through a uh, a couple of false starts he said you know I, th- I think we're okay we'll go some- we'll go another direction but they en- they do end up uh backing patty labelle and the drifters and the ink spots and the isley brothers so all these bands were you know touring the uk and bluesology would be their their backing band or open for them hmm. um and during that time they're all- they also go in the studio and record a couple of songs even though Elton John wasn't the main singer of Bluesology. Both of the singles they record, Come Come Back Baby. Oh, I'll change 
So uh, Comeback Baby is the first song they record. Um, and it's and the A side is the Elton John song. And uh, the, the B side is a much more blues oriented um, song that they did. Uh, more straightforward blues that Stu Brown actually sings on. And then the huh. second single they did was another Elton John composition called Mr. Frantic. And the B side was another blues number, which was a BB King song. Every day I have I have the blues. So yep. it was interesting that they picked they picked those Elton John songs, which were kind of a little, I guess, because they're more pop oriented. They're a little kind of saccharine sounding as as the singles. But that was the direction they went. So yeah, they um, they you know become pretty pretty well known session guys as well during the time during this time as well he get, Elton John gets a job at this place called Mills Music uh where he's you know just working during the day or whatever try to try to make some extra dough but because they they become fairly good session musicians he ends up giving notice and leaving and then they they start touring like internationally they play some gigs in sweden and france they go to hamburg of course they play this place called the top 10 club which is on the reaper barn uh in or reaper bond in uh reaper bond in, <laughs> in hamburg. hamburg and it's just around the corner from the star club which we've talked about before yep. and they of course again they were one of these bands that played eight hours a night one hour on one hour off for eight hours straight six six days a week so and this is also we talked about john, long john baldry this is when they meet him and just i just briefly want to describe discuss why he's important because he was one of the first guys in the uk to sing electric blues uh in a band he also played in a band called alex corners blues incorporated which was had a charlie watts Mick Jagger and Jack Bruce in it at one point. Really? Um, yeah. He played in a group in 1963 with Jimmy Page. <laughs> and evidently, according to Eric Clapton, after seeing Baldry at a gig in the Marquee Club, Clapton decided to become a musician. So this guy's a big deal. Jeez. Um, yeah. yeah. And like I said, he he's uh he gets uh bluesology to be his kind of be his band and and we mentioned that he'd also discovered rod stewart um but for some reason that partnership with bluesology doesn't really go very far and uh balder decides in order to make money they've got they're gonna have to move into the cabaret circuit and start doing this john baldry show and a 22 year old elton john is not interested in doing that at all he's huh. he thinks that cabaret is the death for musicians and so he leaves he needs a way out and he finds it when they're t- when Bluesology is touring in Newsca- Newcastle. He ends up seeing an ad in New Musical Express that was placed by this guy named Ray Williams, who was the A&R manager for Liberty Records. And he answers this ad, and he audition- he's asked to audition five songs in the recording studio, but he didn't have anything really. So he ends up doing these Jim Reeves songs that he used to do when he played at the played in the. Um, in the pub yeah and williams is not impressed (laughs) and says uh you know i think you need to kind of make try to make your own stuff and he leans he kind of heads him in the direction of dick james music who were the publishers of the beatles music it just so happens there was another applicant to to answer that ad that couldn't play anything, but he could write lyrics. Ray Williams has the bright idea of hooking him up with Elton John because uh, he thought this guy's lyrics would fit well with what he was doing on the piano. Yeah. And that was Ber- that was Bernie Taupin. It kind of sounds like so, the uh, Meatloaf, uh, Jim Steinman. It thing. is a lot like that. Yeah. I second, you talk about one of the most important days in rock and roll is when yeah. these two people met. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and so the very first song they record is a song or that they do is a song called Scarecrow, which was Scarecrow, which was ne- never released, but they, it wasn't released at the time. It was released later on like a compilation or a box set or something. But yeah, it seems, it seems to work out really well. And six months after Scarecrow was demoed, that's when Elton John started going by the name Elton John. And, and it was an homage of two of the guys in, in the bluesology band, the saxophonist Elton Dean and the, and the vocalist Long John Baldry. Huh. So he starts going by Elton John. Um, well, which brings up a characteristic of Elton John that I was not aware of before we started doing the research. The guy is one of the most gracious people, especially with credit. I can think of no one who has elevated the the guy that writes lyrics the way he has. Um, he's on all the album covers. He he talks. He always says we. He never says I. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Bernie will acknowledge that. But it's it really improved when when I saw both of those guys interviewed him. I had a really high opinion of both of them. And this is a relationship that is almost without any conflict. It's yeah. it's very unusual for They did years. go through a, a point where I think Bernie Toppin was just bored with Elton John. And he did go through a time where he was doing stuff with Tim Rice. Well, um, both of them had that time where they were doing stuff for other people and away from each other. But yeah. in the interview, I heard that n- neither one of them said it was contemplated or uh, premeditated it just happened yeah and another thing is bernie toppin his knowledge of the americana uh or the american songbook is is amazing going beyond that i mean he knows so much obscure stuff about the blues and he, he's fascinated with american music beyond anything that jimmy page or, or, or the rolling stones right he he is just fascinated with american music and he used to have a show i don't know if it's still on anymore on sirius xm that was just fascinating because he would just kind of take you through uh, he it was like a three-hour show and he would just take you through so many americana pieces of music that you just didn't know existed and that would influence other people but does does he live in Texas now? He does. He lives in Dripping Spring, outside of Dripping Springs, I which think. is uh, what about a half an hour from where we are if the yep. traffic's not bad. So. <laughs> isn't that isn't that the same place Meatloaf lived? He lives pretty close to where Meatloaf used to live. Yeah, I thought Meatloaf lived in uh, Dripping Springs as well. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, that's um, why we're experts, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> yeah. So they're, they're, uh We talked a bit about the writing writing together and how quickly they would knock stuff out. And they, they are doing that. They end up getting, uh, getting hooking up together with, and with Dick James and D DJM records. And they become staff writers, songwriters in 1968. And, uh, over the next couple of years, they wrote a bunch of material for a bunch of different artists. Their first single together credited by Elton John and, or an, a Bernie Elton John song was a song called I've been loving you. So 
not a whole lot different from the stuff he was doing with bluesology, a little bit more orchestrated, but very, very poppy, very sort of that. Um, I don't know what you would call that sixties, that late sixties pop sound. Yeah. But, uh, it was produced by Caleb Quay. Oh, really? Who at the time he, he replaced he, he, when Elton John left bluesology, he became the guitarist for that band. Um, after Elton John left, but yeah, that's that particular single was produced by Caleb Quay. And then they do uh, in 69, they record another single called Lady Samantha. And then they, per, they work on his debut album, Empty Sky. I, I, I like Empty Sky. It's, I find it different, substantially different than this album. And maybe a little, you know, when you put a harpsichord in the band, that's pretty unusual. So that helps. The songs has some songs with harpsichord. It makes it sound like the Elton John album, and and a lot of the Elton John album sounds like Renaissance courting in the garden music. Well, he, Empty um, Sky has a, a conscientious uh, effort for a psychedelic feel. He 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 readily admits is a low budget affair, and uh, they didn't have any. They didn't have a whole lot of time for doing overdubs or any multiple takes or anything. So it's kind of played live with the that record labels in-house musicians. Hmm. So I, I didn't realize this, but um, the reason why most people in the U S think Elton John was his debut is that empty sky wasn't released in the States until 1975. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that explains a lot. Um, it it around, is confusing. I mean, yeah. His, his uh, discography is very confusing because you can't, I'm looking at the Rolling Stone record guide from what 1983, I think is when that one came out and they only list the first two album, the the second album is Tumbleweed Connection. Um, well, well it, the important thing to remember is if you buy any Elton John album from uh, Captain Fantastic and before, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. Uh, if you buy it, it'll be Captain that, Fantastic. <laughs> big, big pardon? It'll be Captain Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And the Dirt Brown Cowboy. Well, and at the same time, he and he's not shy about talking about this. He uh, he's also working for Pickwick, which is a label that would do these top of the pops records, which were all cover versions of songs that were were already hits, but they were low budget affairs. So you would go in and if you wanted to hear, you know, this is the same thing that that. um, Elvis Costello's father. Elvis Costello's dad did, right? Yeah. And so uh, Elton John did that for very, very, uh, for a long time, and he loved doing it for, for all intents and purposes. I mean, every everything it's, I've heard. It's is, probably fantastic training. Well, and yeah. here, here's here's him doing Bridge Over Troubled Water. Feeling small when doing the um, richard t uh i was wondering jam if that <laughs> song makes you feel in any particular way <laughs> to make you boohoo we haven't heard oh, yeah. a boohoo in yeah, a long time. i've been listening while. to some older editions of this podcast and, we, and jam talks <laughs> we, about boo-hoo. Now, we haven't had a boohoo were, were you guys aware that uh evidently there are demos that predate empty sky that he recorded with caleb quay a full album of stuff that I don't think's ever seen the light of day. I couldn't find out if it'd been released subsequently on I, a box or a, not. But there's a podcast called uh, I guess that's why they call it the Elton John Podcast, which goes into 
enormous detail on everything Elton John, and I do believe I heard them talking about that. I like doing little side trips, and so I want to bring up a side trip. Do you guys know the story about Argosy? I think I'm saying that right. Mm. I don't believe I do. Mm -mm. So in 1969, Elton John played piano on a single for this band called Argosy. The song was called Mr. Boyd, and the guitarist on the sessions was Caleb Quay, and the drummer was Nigel Olsen. Uh, who obviously both played with Elton John for years and are on this album. But uh, do you know who the leads? Well, you don't know. The lead singer of Argosy was Roger Hodgson of Supertramp. <laughs> oh, really? That's wild. Yeah. yeah so uh, anyway, so yeah, be an upcoming upcoming shows. So anyway, they uh, they end up. He goes in the studio to record his follow up, Elton John, and Elton John and Bertie Taupin tap sort of production team gus dudge dungeon dungeon how do you say his name i have no idea i've just seen and uh and paul buckmaster as a musical arranger uh, gus dungeon dungeon i guess dungeon buckmaster is a cool name like especially yeah. if you're a hunter he's a the producer master um, and, and his and his backup band on that album is the band hookfoot which is caleb quay's band it's also got dave glover on bass and roger pope on drums and they they were his back his live band for a while as well it's recorded at trident it's released in 1970 and it's it's the first single on it is a song called border song which peaked at 92 you know number 92 on the billboard hot 100 and and it did did well enough so his first appearance on top of the pops in the uk was for that song the second single in the u.s was take me to the pilot and the b-side on that single was your song um <laughs> wow and, and both both sides got airplay but obviously disc jockeys liked your song enough that they stopped playing take me to the pilot and and uh and played that and they eventually the record company got wise and put that as the a side but yeah your song reached number seven in the uk charts and number eight in the u.s it was his first big hit i sat on the roof and kicked off the moss well a few other verses well they've got me quite cross but the sun's been quite kind while I wrote this song. Um, and, it's, and it's the second appearance on Top of the Pops in 71 for us for that. And he's he's got that. You guys have seen that. I'm sure that nudie suit that he's got that he wears. I think it's on the single of Rocket Man and maybe on the cover of one of his other albums. But he's playing. He's sitting at the piano with that nudie suit on. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. You, and you ought to explain that to our fans because a lot of them are going to think that you're talking about uh, he's naked. He's naked. Yeah. No, no, no. There was a there was a uh, the guy by the, the yeah. He, he, there's a guy by the name of uh, what was it? Nudie Cohen. Nudie Cohen. Yeah. Yeah. He was famous yeah. for outfitting a lot of your Nashville country stars. Well, we've been here before. Yep. He did people like Porter Wagner, Elvis, Elvis. Yep. And uh, there are people that would just seek him out. And one of those person we've talked about before was uh, Graham Parsons, and he yeah. loved the nudie suits. And well, he was the, a member uh, of the Birds. Yeah, the uh, the cover of the Flying Burritos first album is all of those guys in, in nudie cone suits. Yeah. And Graham Parsons was had all sorts of drug paraphernalia on, <laughs> on it. Yeah, but they're 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 like rhinestone and really beautifully ornate. Yeah, yeah. And they're they're, but they're fantastic suits. Not necessarily something you'd wear to church. No, no. But here's something I did not know: uh, the uh, your song actually made its vinyl debut on Three Dog Nights' third album 
it ain't easy. So that was, it was actually released on vinyl by three dog night before Elton John released it. <laughs> I believe that was one of Elton John's first American friends was uh, three dog night. One of the members of that band that and, and, uh, and, treated him to some unrequested acid. And it's funny because we've talked about that band before. No, when cocaine. About, I'm sorry. What, um, when did we talk about Three Dog Night before? Randy was, Newman. Uh, no, it's a sky. Uh, no, it was uh, your Harry guys. Nelson. No, it's, it was Tony's guys. Is the Harry they, Nielsen out? Harry Nielsen. Oh, yeah. Well, your, your guys. Uh, no, I'm. Randy Newman and Harry Nelson. That's right. Yeah, but he's they were the band that made uh, one. That yeah. uh, Harry Nielsen song so popular, but anyway, I digress as I always do. Yeah, so um, that you know that uh, that album is a, is is a pretty good going concern, and he's working on his third album, the one we're talking about tonight. Really, before he even leaves on his U.S. tour to support the Elton John LP, and it's the same production team that I talked about, Dungeon Dungeon, and however you say his name, and Buckmaster. It's the same studio, Triton, but I think we can all agree the sound is vastly different yep. it's uh obviously country influence the, the the orchestration is is uh toned down considerably yeah, minimal. And as i mentioned before he wanted to get away from kind of that orchestrated sound and he wanted something much simpler and much much funkier uh-huh. and he he and, put uh, together the combo elvis used rhythm and blues gospel and country music did it to great effect one of the things about when he came to the United States, he started playing in a folk club, which um, I think was fortunate for him because he he became recognized as a songwriter. Anybody know what club that was? It's another connection. Oh, is it the one Dylan played in? It's a troubadour. Troubadour. Oh, the troubadour. With, uh, oh, with uh, Tom uh, Waits. Um, Tom Waits. Yeah. yeah, I did know that actually. I'd forgotten about it. And he got. Immediately, the California scene fell in love with him, and I guess that's how he ended up on. Uh, oh, yeah, because that was the uh, 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 Jackson Brown's album. Yeah, because that was the same label Tom Waits was on, so that makes sense. I, I really, before we start digging into this album, I want to talk about the concept behind it because we've we've kind of been here before, but I think it's worth mentioning here since this is the fir- really the first album. Uh, well, I guess the Little Feet album did as well we talked a little bit about this bizarre obsession with like the south and the west but uh i I find this fascinating because this is these songs were written by a guy who'd never stepped foot in the u.s when he was writing them but he was (laughs) absolutely jam said he was absolutely obsessed with americana stuff particularly uh, with the west yeah i I think y'all saw that uh magazine that he put together for his neighborhood when he's a little boy yeah and it's all about white herb and uh cowboys and guns everywhere yeah there's an interview with him from about two years ago on cbs this morning where he just he talks about that and that's why he moved to texas like he's just well he he was um it, you know, he, it's kind of started when he was a kid because he saw the Lone Ranger on TV and yeah. was like blown away by that. And then also, uh, he he was listening to Radio Luxembourg, which just real briefly um, was uh, the very first commercial radio station that broadcast the UK it was not on UK soil because BBC had a had a monopoly on the airwaves in the UK and they did not. They didn't do commercial advertising, but which which lent itself to pirate radio stations of other stuff. But Radio Luxembourg would brought broadcast to the UK and Ireland, and he listened. Bernie Taupin as a kid listened to this stuff, so he, they would play stuff like Ring of Fire, El Paso by Marty Robbins, and he just yeah, he got, says that just El Paso, fell in love with that. Yeah, stuff, he said El Paso you know? is one of his. He, 
did not realize a song could be like that. Well, I I remember um, I'm younger than Bernie, but I, I remember when I lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico, I had uh, red boots and a red cowboy hat and a cap gun. <laughs> and walked around telling everybody, you bet your 10-pin buckets, which I still don't know where that came from or what that means. But uh, that used to be a common thing for kids. They all wanted yeah. to be cowboys because all the shows on TV were cowboys. Wore my holster and my cap gun and my sheriff's badge. Oh, yeah. I forgot the sheriff's everywhere. badge. Yeah, and sometimes you get a vest. Yeah, I would wear that to cowboys church. wore a vest. Yeah. <laughs> well, but but Bernie gets this uh, this particular type as you're talking about this particular type of romanticism about the American America of a certain era, and it's not just the West. I mean, this this song the songs on this album also are steeped in Southern you know Southern culture as well, mm-hmm. and so uh, I just find that fascinating. This guy is live you know surrounded by in the Lincolnshire, uh, surrounded by farmland, is uh, sees this this great unknown America, and just in his mind, it's so much larger than anything he could possibly contemplate and it just uh, he's obsessed with it it just consumes his imagination there there is um, another thing that got him into all that americana stuff it's a another another band that doesn't have very many the band y- yeah usa people in it uh and no yeah. su- one southerner i think uh, one, but yeah, from he was Bonham. really really uh influenced by music from the big pink well uh, yeah i want i want to talk about that briefly because that album was not very that didn't chart at all in the UK, but people who were paying attention to it, the musicians of, of a certain note are paying attention to it, really loved it. Um, again, not to bring up Clapton because, you know, it's odd that I would bring up Clapton twice in a podcast, but he credits uh, music from the Big Pink, encouraging him to kind of move away from the blues and embrace what he was doing with Blind Faith. Yeah. So this is kind of interesting. BJ Cole, who was a steel, steel guitar player for Elton John, he's not on this album, but he, he does play pedal steel on Tiny Dancer and a bunch of other stuff. He's got a kind of an interesting take. He says that for musicians in the 70s, the band uh, in the UK, the band were a huge influence because they had this direct, weird direct line to this mytholo- mythological American, America. Right. Yeah. And, um, and what, why he, why he thought that English musicians in particular latched onto them is because unlike, as you mentioned, Levon Helm being the only Southerner, all the Canadians, they're observers. So they're kind of one step removed from America. Whereas a lot of American musicians kind of take all that stuff for granted. Well, it's the way it is. You yeah. don't go to the Alamo when you live in San Antonio. Yeah, no, exactly. You just drive by it and curse the tourist. <laughs> so as observers, they're able to, to make this, you know, kind of larger than life, a connection with it and that's what he says all these uk musicians were doing as well i think they, we do the same thing to uh to england oh i do yeah i've when read I 21 books about nelson's navy <laughs> well <laughs> because I, I i'm fascinated with that and of course we're all fascinated with churchill yeah well i yeah i'll go a step further first time i went over went over there i've told the story before we're driving we're taking the train up and i see uh Hatfield in the north, and I see Battersea Power Power Station, and I'm just freaking out because all these musical things are like right. I'm in the place where all this music. And then the last time we went, and we we went to Liverpool. Uh, I don't want to sound whatever, but I, you know, I had to fight back tears several times when we're standing. I'm standing you in this like all these, JM with your boohoo. His historical. Well, I went Beatles to Townhouse places, Studios you know? where Man Morrison has made so many 
albums. I, I just walked through the doors at Van Morrison has walked through. Um, That's but, just like other people feel about Jerusalem, but never mind. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he also, when he was writing these songs, he, do, he, he did lean on some research. He cites a book or a record, I take that back, called Bad Men, which contained all these authentic country cowboy songs and interviews with Wyatt Earp's girlfriend. So that that influenced as well it's kind of funny because he get, he get they got a little bit of criticism because he'd never been to the states and some some people thought uh, in the uk press thought that was a little weird and his response bernie toppin's response is great he's like if people didn't he says if people didn't use their imaginations where would we be people have been writing about things they've never seen for years yeah. and it's true it's like well, why, why should a musician be any different he wrote a good album and nobody from the united states could have written that album yeah 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 it is funny to hear somebody write about your place and <laughs> well, he does. He does get things slightly askew. No, that's why. Kind of I, that's why I enjoy it. Yeah, um, I heard um, the British guys on that podcast I mentioned talking about how burned down the mission was so influenced by the Alamo, and I'm going, what? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where did that come? Okay, they're both missions. Yeah, <laughs> but other than that, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then you know, you think about the, the Alamo. That reminds me of Phil Collins and his. He's got the largest collection of Al- Alamo uh, memorabilia. Yeah, and we and we actually have it. It a lot of it at the Alamo. He's donated it to the daughters yeah. of the yeah. of the um, Republic. Of yeah, thank Republic. you, uh, thank you, thank you, Phil. If you happen to be listening, <laughs> it's interesting because that sort of mythological romanticism of America permeates this album, and and it's a concept album. I think I think it could be called that in that way because that's the concept. It does, the songs aren't related narratively, you know, like a concept. No, but, the but there is a definite, is, yeah. for the most part, there's a theme running through it that embraces that post-Civil War America. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the reasons I picked this uh, and re- the reason I was struggling between this and Captain Fantastic is because they're both cohesive concept albums. Captain Fantastic is about Elton John and Bernie in the early days. And this is about uh, English boys' impression of the West and the United States. All right, we're ready to get into the album. Tony's. Yeah, I mean, oh, I, yeah. I apologize. I forgot. I'm hosting. Uh, so, <laughs> guys, that, that guys, that brings us to Tumbleweed Connection. Are we ready to talk about it? Let's do it. Yep. All right. One side. One ballad of a well-known gun. I think this is the funkiest that Elton John has ever sounded. Haven't really heard anything quite like this before or since. Um, the bass <laughs> and guitar don't sound much like anything else you associate with Elton. It's not um, even like honky to- honky cat or any of those things that he pretends like he's being hon- still. I've got, I've got two things I want to say. One is Caleb Quay is obviously a, a good guitarist, but oh, he's a great I, guitar found, player, yeah. I, I found myself listening to this album and wondering if he was actually listening to a different album because a lot of his guitar stuff while fascinating and great it's it sounds like he's listening to something else he's like playing something that is just slightly not in tune with what's going on it's not bad i'm not i'm not saying it's a knock it's just a weird thing that that i've noticed that not on this song in particular but just throughout the album that happened you know what this song reminds me of what's that uh up on cripple creek 
Yep. Yep. I yep, hear that. I, I can hear that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is the most band to me. This is the most bandy sounding song on this album. Yeah. Um, it's got that same, except I don't know it, what is, you would, it is funkier than that as JM mentioned. Yeah, I, it is. But I don't know what you would call that weird kind of rhythm that that's up on cripple Creek has that band, that kind of yeah. band rhythm. You know, I don't know what I'm not a musician, so I don't know really how to describe it, but this song, well, has it's that got that lazy it. snare. It does. And if you listen, there's another version of this where it's real straightforward, uh, four, four times straight ahead, faster, fantastic, but it has everything you're talking about removed from it. Oh, you're talking now about the I demo? Me, and now I found me. It's moving about like that. You're, you're, you're talking about the demo, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, the demo's fantastic, but it's not what they were trying to do with this album. No, it's 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 a great, very worth hearing. Uh, it is. Both of absolutely. them are good. It almost sounds like a different a different song because it doesn't have the funky beat. Yeah. And you don't have the uh, funky white boy playing the music. <laughs> and uh, this song, of course, has uh, the six-person female backup yeah, choir and on it. And Dusty Springfield is a member of that on this yep. particular song. Yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad he gave her some work. Um, <laughs> the, this is also uh, when when <laughs> when these two, of course, Bernie turned Elton into a Dylan fan, and they bumped into Dylan at the uh, Fillmore East, and uh, he said, "I really like the lyrics to the Ballad of a Well Known Gun." So Bernie was probably high for about uh, twenty <laughs> years after cool. that. Yeah. yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, this is one of the simplest chord progressions on the album, and yeah. this album does not have simple music. <laughs> no, nope, it does but it's not. got this guy. Named, the one of the weird things is the backing band on this. Other than uh, Caleb Quay, there's not a whole lot about the rest of these guys. You mean other work? Yeah, like Dave Glover was the bass player, fantastic bass part. I thought uh, Roger Pope does that Levon Helm type drum part. Not a lot about him. Well, kind of strange. That really picked us up there, J.M. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Moving on to song number two, Come Down in Time. Come down in time was the message she gave. Come down in time and I'll meet you halfway. This is one of the few songs by elton john that doesn't have a piano in it it's got an orchestra got a guitar and a harp and then well, um, starts off with then there's some light strings and an upright bass is just going completely nuts if you listen to it. It, it it was originally written for the last album for the elton john album and it would have fit on there so much better per, it would have i mean it's the it's one of i think two songs that don't kind of have follow the 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 same theme that this album yeah i'm, was I'm glad it's on here I wish it would have been a little deeper into the mix because you do need a break from the constant sound. I, I think this is a great song. I it's really beautiful. Like this it's song. a beautiful song. Oh yes. um, yeah, it is wonderful. And it's it's a simple song. Uh, I, I was mentioning the simple chord progressions before, and I spoke too soon. There's another one, but uh, and it's it's been covered by a lot of people too. Yeah, uh, yep. There's a lot of songs on this album that've been covered. You know, it's funny when I was. Digging around trying to find, you know, do some research on this. There's a, another podcast. I don't think it's the same one you were talking about, Doug, where this guy does, he finds cover versions of Elton John songs and then arranges an album based well, on Well, I those thought cover I sent versions. that to you. Yeah. 
Oh, did you? I didn't see that. I'm sorry. I found that on my own. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, and it is good. I hope you'll post that on the uh, it's, web page. It's really, it's really there's some good covers. Very good covers. So yeah. this is a, a weird song in that the instrumentation is pretty, it's pretty sparse, but Herbie Flowers, a phenomenal upright bass player, is actually playing the electric bass, and this other guy, Chris Lawrence, is playing the acoustic bass, and that's the one that's going completely nuts. I was going to say there's uh, there's some songs on this album that the pocket is absent, Jam. <laughs> that's two not, weeks in not, a row. Sorry, Jam. Not necessarily, though, because even though I think there there is something... Even on this song, where even the bass is, is all right, Richard Davis played with Van Morrison. He can keep the pocket while like still going completely nuts. And I think that's one of the things I, I like about this song quite a bit. It, it does sound like the most Astral Week sounding well, it, song. It does. It has a. What I got a question. I, we got the bass player and the uh, drummer. He usually works with on the sidelines for a lot of this. Is that yeah. just because they're not up to the level of these? Session musicians. I have no idea why. why. I, I, I wonder. I wonder how much of that had to do with where they were recording it. I mean, I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, Trident had their own tri- guys. Tri- that they guys. really yeah. wanted to have. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 All right. We ready to move on to the next song? Yep. Song. Song number three. Country comfort. You know, with all that steel guitar, I couldn't help but think of Tony. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's funny. If, if This isn't my favorite song, but it sure tries to be every time I listen to it. I love this um, song. It is such a good song. It, it's, it's, it, it's, it's a really sweet song, too. It's mm-hmm. a very lyric, it lyrically, is. it's very simple, but it's very sweet. Uh, one of my favorite things, speaking of the steel, is I love the fact that it, it kicks in on the chorus, and there's that line in the chorus that says, the sweetest sound my ears have ever known. Yeah. And, that, yeah. and that's the way I feel about the steel guitar, so yeah. it's perfect. Does, you know? does it sound like a John Denver song to y'all? I was about to say, uh, it, to me, it sounds like it is a Jackson Brown song. Oh, yeah. To me, it almost That's, like you it, know, I can hear okay, it on Jackson I, Brown's first I, album, yeah, like Rock Me on the I'll, Water. I'll, t- I'll, tell you, I'll tell you why it doesn't to me. Uh, we have not mentioned, we mentioned this briefly at the beginning of this podcast, but I want to use this song to talk about it more. We talked about what a great piano player Elton John is. We have not talked about the guy's voice much. And That's his voice, his, his voice is voice fantastic on this song and it's weird how much people don't talk about his incredible voice it is and and this song in particular sounds like an elton john song to me mainly because of the way he's singing it and his voice i mean i know that sounds well i know but that's the dumb thing to say but but that's one of the things that i will come back to the theme of this album is they were still trying to figure themselves out bernie toppin and and Elton John were still trying to figure themselves out. And I think Elton John didn't know what the hell he was doing. He didn't know what his voice could do. Well, and, and uh, according to him, he and other people, he was speci- he was purposely trying to Americanize it when he was singing these songs. Yeah. Like he was putting an effect on it. But it's still he's still got that big rolling. Yeah. You know, well, as you're, you said, you're right about the- you're right about this song being a, a breakout in a way. Yeah. With, with and, well, and he's. He's just getting his big vowels out 
Well, he, he has the ability on some of the songs on this album that uh, this is, I, I can't explain this any other way than to say it. It's there's a narrative quality, the way he sings. So he's yeah. propelling the songs along dramatically by what he's doing with his voice, which is interesting since he's using someone else's words. Yeah. And yeah. when he sings a song like rocket man, it sounds 100% like he's singing about his own experience. Yep. And this does yep. too. Yeah. And this is obviously, this is probably the closest to autobiographical that uh, Bernie has on the album. I, I will say one nitpicky thing about it. I know that specifically the song isn't necessarily, I mean, the album's about American, the American whatever, but. Uh, there ain't no hedgehogs in the, in America. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> that's when I listen to this album, I feel like, well, we're here as advisors. We need to give you some, you know, like when somebody makes like that guy on that, uh, what was that movie where they go to Vietnam to make the Vietnam movie? And they, what is that called? It's so Apocalypse funny. Now? No, the funny one. Oh, Tropic uh, oh, Thunder. It's blood flavored syrup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tropic Thunder. I feel like we're the advisor saying, no, it really wasn't like that, Bernie. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's talking about cooking hedgehogs between clay, like clay and two bricks, and that's how you cook them. But there's not any, they're not native to the U.S., so yeah. nobody was cooking hedgehogs no, no, in the U.S. <laughs> nobody I know has ever eaten a hedgehog. Um, yeah. Yeah, so Armadillo, maybe. Yeah, as as I mentioned earlier, this is a song, or we mentioned earlier, this is a song that was covered by Rod Stewart on on his uh, Gasoline Alley album, I think, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and as I mentioned, Delton John wasn't happy about it. He was. It wasn't that he was unhappy that Rod Stewart decided to record it, even though this did come out before his version. What he was displeased with was the way he did it. He said it sounded like he was making it up as he played. In fact, he said it was so far away from the original, they might as well have just sung Camp Town Races. Um, <laughs> but is and, there anything and, that's, that's kind of El, uh, Rod Stewart's beauty? I mean, his ability to kind of, yeah, I'm just making this up as I'm well, he, along. But it's, I think he can't be sincere about it. You can't, you can't it's no. like when, uh, when we talked about the birds when they were doing that one song about Christian life. Yeah, Christian, Christian life. Yeah, I feel the same way about when Rod Stewart. It's yeah, he can't. I I think I know the guy that wrote it felt it, and I believe Elton John. That's, a, that's felt a way, it. yeah, that's the way I think about Bernie Taupin right now yeah. about all this stuff. It's like, man, this is like watching a really old, like a Lone Ranger episode or Rio Bravo or something like. Okay, that, do these guys really know what the hell it was like being out on the <laughs> the truck the that's the, yeah. the truck that's going home reminds me of a line that will come in Captain Fantastic when someone saved my life tonight when he talks about the truck to take him home when uh, they they convince him not to marry the uh, queen on her electric chair and uh, his friends in a truck to come take him home. It's interesting to me that that pops up again. Okay. We ready to move on to the next song guys. I think so. So guys, uh, song number four, side one, son of your father. Have these guys heard uh, gospel music before? <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the songs I think uh, I could see people mishearing the lyrics because I, when I pulled them up, I was like, 
Oh, is that what he said? <laughs> <laughs> and there's um, this is th- there's more uh, lyrics in this than uh, most yeah. of the songs. Well, I, this I, I, I had no idea the guy's name was Van Bushel uh, <laughs> until I looked it up. But yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> so this is a, the story of buying this song, right? Is these two guys argue and it doesn't turn out very good for either one of them. Yeah, um, but, I think they're this- lying dead as nails. <laughs> yeah. I abs- I love this song. This, but it does hint where uh, Elton John's going to go in the future with like Honky Cat and uh, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting. I love how it's less produced and the horns are kind of buried in there. I mean, it's just a little bit grittier. It's got kind of like a weird stack sound to it. I actually like quite a bit. And he's got his big voice right up and front. The, and the bass is so funky. So... Doug, I need you to explain to me, because I'm a little dense, what son of your father means. Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I was thinking about Barabbas. Oh, you think so? No, it's not connected, but, you know, the irony is the son of God <laughs> is rejected. And a guy named Barabbas, which means son of the father, is released. Ah. Uh. So it has nothing to do with this album. I just when I when no, I no, saw no, that, I, I, I thought just, it was because, interesting because the stress on that particular concept is what he's he sort of gets the guy, cools the guy's heels, right? Yeah. Um. And and then so I'm just trying. I, I was trying to find out what that what that concept meant. I mean, it doesn't take away from the pleasure of the song. I just uh, listening to the song. I just uh, I thought you might might have some insight on. It. I maybe uh. He's being reminded of where he comes from. I've, people use that as a, a tool frequently. Yeah. You uh, remember right who your people that. are, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I've had that, that used sense. on that me before. Much, that makes as much sense as, as anything. So. But I wouldn't I wouldn't go to the plate. It's a great, fun song. Um, it is. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm going to get redundant tonight because I don't have any songs on this album I don't like. So it's it's another one of those. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my favorite. And then I <laughs> did you hear know, the next one. Did you know this was uh, yeah. this was the on, this is the only song on this album that he never played live? I wonder why that is. Wow. I don't know. I, and maybe it, it's because there's so many words. He it's <laughs> he's scared to forget them. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of when you said it's a fun song, it's kind of it's kind of interesting because it's it's um it's not without its sense of humor considering what the what the end result of the song is mm-hmm. but and i think that that lends itself to why it's so enjoyable um yeah all right moving on the second song that mentions father the last song on side one my father's gun i wear my father's gun The night they drove old Dixie down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely that same sort of romanticized view of the Civil War that yeah, uh, that uh, it's not in fashion right now. By the way, no, but it was it was. Uh, oh, I know not, it was. It was. I mean, you think about um, it was a hundred, essentially a hundred, just over a hundred years after the yeah. event. For various reasons, I think both legitimate and illegitimate, the Civil War was a big deal at this time. And, uh, and yeah. yeah, there were tons of people romanticizing it right. in terms of music. Well, and the uh, the way that the he, number of books that were published about the Civil War during yeah. this period of time, it, I think it's 
the one time it surpassed World War II as a choice of historians' uh, favorite wars. Yeah. Well, and and I think it's this. The, it was around this time that the blue gray set was sold at Sears, and I think Lincoln Logs became a big thing. I mean, there was just this whole, the whole sort of interest yeah. Yeah, and commercialization of it. Yeah, and I I think this is some of the best lyrics that Bernie Taupin has ever come up with. I mean, explaining I'm burying my father and I'm getting his gun. And what do I do with it? He's going to go find a place. He's going to go find a place. It, it, it explains. <laughs> Don the gray. <laughs> it, it explains people who have zero interest in this war or its outcome. Right. But, but become it's, involved it's, in it. And it's so personal. Yeah. It's, it, it's the most personal account well, of anything I have beats Ken Burns. <laughs> what you so think about uh, they laid my, what? what is it in the, uh, the night that, uh, night they burned, not burned old Dixie. What what, he, what they do to his brother? Burn. Yeah, they killed his father and they killed his brother because he took the rebel stand. But and, this is uh, so much more. I'm burying my dad. What do I do? Get on the riverboat and go find out where he can go shoot people. Yeah, yeah. So this is this is a prime example, maybe even better than the last song I mentioned of Elton John propelling the narration, the, the narrative quality of the song with his vocals. Yeah. I mean, he just, it just seems like he's, he hits all the right notes in terms of making the story told lyrically. Yeah. Again. And, and it's fantastic. Uh, again, there's this, uh, just to bring up the guitar and uh, oh, get God, a little the guitar part thing. on this is amazing. The, yeah, well, but it starts uh, off. But it's odd because it's it got is. this little jazzy blues thing that seems a little out of place, if you ask me, on this song. It's on the right, right channel, but I it think. Is, uh, yeah, um, it is. That's what you I, know, that's you what just I mean. brought up an important point. <laughs> you should listen to this album on headphones because stereo was still cool at this point, and yeah. things are coming in and out of different ears the whole time you listen to it. Bernie Toppin's research, he, it seems to me that he does as much research for a song is he takes it more seriously than I would a research paper, you know, except he couldn't find out a hedgehog was a native to the U.S. <laughs> well, yeah, outside right. outside yeah. of that, we won't, I we think won't maybe tell. he meant groundhog. If he had just changed it to groundhog, <laughs> I don't know anybody who eats groundhogs either, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I shoot them, but I don't, I'm, I'm disappointed that they eat hedgehogs up there. Those are cute little pets. Yeah, they are little cute. Yeah. And I don't hit And I don't understand why dogs. we don't get them. Anyway, yeah. we have prairie dogs. We got, an yeah, we got prairie dogs. You don't want to eat those. Nope. As the last time we had a last time we had a significant as a side note, but the last time we had a significant case of monkey poxes from prairie dogs. <laughs> Was it eaten or relations? No, uh <laughs> having them as pets and eating them, I believe. I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> Relations. There's yeah. an outtake. Um, <laughs> Put anyway. that with the sleeve stacks. <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, this is also vies for my favorite song. It's not. Oh, it's, I mean, there's a yeah. definite contender for my favorite song. It but, is such uh, a high point. Yeah. But this one, this one is pretty, pretty damn good. Yep. Oh, All okay. right. So we are. Uh, it is time now to flip her over. Go to side two. Song one. Side two. Where to now, Saint Peter? And it should have been a hit.
So, Doug, you said this should have been a hit. This is one of my least favorite songs on the album. Oh, whoa. My, this is my whoa. favorite song. <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? you James, uh, Tony, say that again. I had you down too low. I said, what the hell's wrong with you, Jam? This is my favorite song on the album. I love this song. <laughs> this song, this song, lyrically, musically, everything about it. And they about get the, the wah-wah guitar comes oh, in from great. nowhere. <laughs> I know. It's, a, my, again, the wah again, that's again, because the wah-wah guitar takes me out of this. Uh, no, 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 no. This is the one song, the guitar's doing something a little odd that fits perfectly. I think, um, I think, I think it you, adds to the feeling of confusion. Uh, oh, absolutely. And the, the, the concept of this is just fantastic. This guy meets St. Peter and he's, and man, there, there's a line in this song. I absolutely love that says, uh, I understand I'm on the road where that, where all that was, uh, all that was is gone. What a perfect way to yeah. describe being dead. <laughs> I took myself a blue canoe. I'm floated like but, a leaf. But but the guy goes to St. Peter. And he's like, okay, I know I'm gone, but I'm not sure which way I'm going. I tried to live a good life, but I'm not a Christian. Does that matter? I mean, I, I, this song is fantastic. Jam, I'm not talking about. I'm not talking lyrically. <laughs> lyrically, I think it's fine, but it's just takes Everything me out about of this song. It takes yeah. me out of the. Uh, I'm in this countrified. I'm looking at the the. The West in a with a new light. I'm looking at the Civil War differently, and all of a sudden, here's this wah wah guitar coming in, talking with with Saint Peter. I mean, I'm well, seeing all these it's... like all these guys that are making their peace with the world, and they've they've been killed, and they've and all of a sudden, there's a wah wah guitar in that. Uh, you're you're nuts. You're nuts, man. <laughs> That's all I gotta say. You, 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 you like bump your head on the way into the vinegaroon today, or something. This is not. This is not floating up into the clouds. This is this is mass confusion about what happens now. Yeah. I mean, I, I, this when song, I died, this is... I had the same feeling. <laughs> well, there this will song... not. When I die, there will not be a wah wah guitar in them. Oh, I hope there's a wah wah guitar when I die. That'd be pretty <laughs> I, good. I, I, Maybe I'd like pedal string. steel first, yeah. but while I'm not going to complain about wall, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to complain about anything because you don't Look, know. I, 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 oh, I cannot believe those words came out of your mouth, Jay. That's just as shocking to me. <laughs> it's just not one of my favorites. It just didn't really didn't go. Wow. <laughs> well, maybe we ought to move on while we're still all friends. I guess <laughs> if, so. If, if oh. Bernie and Elton can stay uh, on good terms for 50 years, we now, ought to be able to. Now we that we may have another huge problem with JM says this next song is one of his favorites, but the next song we got is number two on side one, love song. I'm side two, number two on side two, love song. You mold, you know what I mean. Have your eyes really seen? Well, I like this one. Well, this is a pretty song, but I'm going to ask a question we ask from time to time. Do we need Elton John to do this? This song sounds like America trying to sing Crosby, Stills, and Nash to me. And it does. I, 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 I cannot deny that it sounds like Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I don't need I want to say singing this. Do you have any purple berries? <laughs> yes, I've been eating them. And it, and also to me, this is the one song that I mean. This is this song is jarringly different than everything else. It it has no place that, on this album or the like concept. that weird 
that weird part in the middle where it sounds like kids playing on the beach or something. Yeah. I have no idea. I have no idea why this song is on this album. I hate this song. <laughs> okay. I, 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 this is probably, right this is one of my least favorite songs I've I've ever heard. It, it sounds like that I, song, like it's so groovy now that people are finally getting together. I, I, the, the lyrics are inane. The, <laughs> um, the, the, why he did this, what he over a, some money or something? I mean, yeah. I mean, this, she, this she song seems, is um, by Leslie Duncan. Leslie Duncan. Yeah, yeah. it's it's not. It's it's put out the, about six albums and yeah, she wrote songs that all kinds of Neil Diamond. I mean, I, I mean, I can't remember. Done, yeah, the list. she's a phenomenal uh, uh, songwriter. Dusty Springfield. She, yeah, she's had a lot of people cover her tunes. But why? But why? I, I, what, what Tony said is a good point. This is it's, it's not necessary yeah. for Elton John to sing this tune. What, I mean, wouldn't you have rather had the Mick Ronson version of Man Man Across the Water? Hell yes. Yeah. Hell yes. I mean, this is just... It is a mystery why it's on there. I like the tune. I like what I, Elton John does with it. I don't. It is I hate the lyrics. I don't like the tune. It is. I don't hate this song. I'm with you, Doug. My biggest problem with it is it should not be on this album. It's a, it's a and she's playing on it and singing a backup. No, she's a good guitar so, player. I'll give her that. But maybe, I do hear some flaws. But anyway, um, I don't know. Maybe <laughs> maybe she looked cute or something. Well, she died not too long ago. But well, she probably didn't look cute when she died. But yeah. back back in the day. Man, all right, I guess we ought to move on. Um, <laughs> oh, man, we're probably going to get some hate letters from that. There's probably people who love I think I my know. daughter, Grace, loves that song. Um, it's a good song. I, yeah. I don't I, understand how anybody could think that's a good song. I could write it's that. A good, I agree with Doug. It's a good song. It's just not, we don't need Elton John you singing know it. We don't need what it's, It ought to be have you uh, a you bunch of stoners seen. backing up Grace Slick singing it, in my mind. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it sounds like California psychedelic uh Voodoo music. <laughs> okay, moving on to song number three on side two, Amarina. Remember that uh, part in Dumb and Dumber where... No, I've never seen Dumb and Dumber. All right. <laughs> How about the sequel, Dumber and Dumber? No, I <laughs> haven't no, seen either one of them. Wait, you totally screw up and then you totally redeem yourself. This to me is... He totally redeemed himself on this song. This is such a good song. Well, he's definitely panning the hell out of the piano on this song. Yeah, he is. And the rest and of he's the doing band. new things that we've never heard from his voice. Yeah. I I so love this, this song. This is one of the songs that when I get to it, I have to use discipline to keep moving forward. Exactly. Yeah. Um so this was named after his goddaughter. Right. Oh, I forgot that. That's right. Ray, yeah. Ray Williams' daughter. I find this song to be a bit funny. I mean, I like this song a lot, but the lyrics I find hilarious, to be honest with you. I don't know that I would sing a song about 
<laughs> with my lusty, goddaughter. A, and yeah. a lusty flower running through the grass for hours, rolling through the hay like a puppy child. I mean, that's just goofy. Or the, yeah. with the well, describing her eat talking yeah. about your goddaughter. <laughs> or uh, well, I mean, it's named after his goddaughter. I don't know if it's. it's I know I would have named it after somebody that yeah. I did all that with, or with someone I didn't know. Emily or, 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 or the, something. The, the, yeah. Describing the, her eating an apple and the juice flowing down. Yeah, her, that was a little. Her, that yeah, I did, I, I'm glad body. I did not know this was about her. Yeah. His goddaughter. Not, before I, I don't think it's a. It's just named after. It's not about that, her. I mean, I it's know, a great name. It's a great name. I understand using the name, but I still. Yeah, but, I would have changed uh, it. Of course, the guy that wrote it's not the guy that sang it. So. <laughs> no, yeah. uh, it's just I, I don't. You know, it's a fantastic song. It's just every time I listen to it, I, I just think about how the, the lyrics are. They just amuse me. That's all. Yeah, I, I love the song though. It is so it's good. A, well, I can't pick a favorite on it, here because I got about four that all line up. Yeah, right but it's got that. Um, you talk you about know, was, the the use of a wawa when he when he does that little. In between the between the uh, or the the verse and the no the the chorus and the next verse yeah it's it's, it's really cool it's uh, it's funny when you brought up Dumb and Dumber I thought you were going to talk about when any movie you talk about it'd be Dog Day Afternoon because this plays over the opening credits is that is right that right I did not know that yep oh. good pick yeah all right we ready to move to the next next tune we are we are. All right, next song on side two, Talking Old Soldiers. Yeah, that's right. You can see me here most every night. You always see me staring at the walls and at the lights. Funny, I remember, oh, it's years ago I'd say, Yeah, it's I, different. It is different. To me, this sounds like if Billy Joel were in MASH. <laughs> I, I don't know why I thought of Randy Newman when I heard this. I thought of both of them. I thought of Billy Joel and Randy Newman. That The sound is more like Billy Joel, but I yeah. did think of Randy Newman. But it's a little too earnest and honest to be uh, Randy, Randy Newman. Newman yeah. song. I, I, I will say the one thing I wish I wish he had stayed in the voice of the soldier the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like I like agree. The, like, yeah. like Tom like Tom Waits does in, in Martha, where yeah. it's just a one sided conversation. I think the song would have been better had that happened. That's a nitpick. Uh, I like the song. I think it's great. I, I, I like the, the song quite a bit. Yeah. Um, his vocal delivery again is just incredible on it. Yeah. And I, um, I try to does it. Is there anything else he's ever done that's like that? I, no. I don't know about it. I don't know of anything. I don't think so. Yeah, he got produced. Yeah, he, this whole album kind of shows what he can do with his voice and just himself and a piano. Well, um, it's yeah. it's a wonderful... I, I think probably... I'm guessing, but I think the people that really like Elton John, this is most of their favorite album. Most of their al- favorite albums. Is, most of them think this most, is their favorite yeah. album, yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing about this, you made you made the kind of funny joke when we when we flipped it over and you said this should have been a hit. There was not a hit single on this album. No. I mean it not a single song uh charted. One of the reasons I picked it, <clears throat> I don't know that anyone needs me to tell them that Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is a great album or even Madman Across the Water or Honky Chateau. Every everybody knows the big tunes on those. 
this one's this one is a little bit hidden from from the uh, casual is, Elton John fan. Yeah, it's 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 kind of more our mo. I mean, we we did take a brief respite and remind everybody how great who's next is. <laughs> that was a that was self indulgent. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this I, I think this is I, you know to the extent that we provide any service, I think talking about albums that aren't that well known. Uh, hopefully does somebody some and, and when we say it's not well known that would be excluding serious elton john fans who right. can't shut up about this album. well and it did it did chart i mean this song was a top 10 album or this album was a top 10 album of both the uk and the u.s yeah um I wonder how much of that had to do with your song, though. Like people thought this. they were buying your song. <laughs> I think so. I, I believe yeah, they didn't have yeah. the, the the. I don't think the uh, songs were on the original album. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is a good one. All right, we're gonna cap her off with the final song on the album, "Burn Down the Mission." hear more people talk about this song than any other on the album. <laughs> this well, is this the this is the only song I was familiar with before you pick before you picked this album and I absolutely love this song. It's just one of the, I think it's I, the best one of the best songs behind um Mona Lisa's and Mad Hatter's. I think this may be my favorite song by Elton John. I uh I'm going to quote Doug and say, if you don't like this song, you're a bad guy. Yeah, it's um, such a good it's, song. It's a great way to end the album. It's it, it fits in perfectly with kind of the theme that we've been going down. I I, I, I find it interesting you guys mentioned Jim Steinman earlier, because I've read several places where people compare this to a Jim, Jim Steinman composition. I could see that, yeah. No uh, trouble saying that no, at all. Not at all. Meatloaf could have possibly done this but it's, now, now i want to hear that yeah uh, if everybody would stop dying and please do <laughs> um, I, you know who covered this who Toto. al cooper toto oh, al cooper did too <laughs> oh that's right he did um, yeah. and judy collins oh well, god well i would have covered I can't imagine phil collins well phil collins did it for that tribute album right that oh, did tribute he? album yeah, I think so. There was a tribute album that I, I think can see Phil Collins not, doing this, uh, doing a pretty good job on it. But so the, this uh, is a com, a very com, this is an album that has four chord changes, and it has twelve chords in it. Which, yeah. uh, if you're not a person who looks at chord charts frequently, <laughs> twelve is <laughs> well, a lot. And, yeah. and, and this song, I think, is actually the lyrics are misunderstood, not in terms of understanding what like what he's saying but understanding what they mean i think people well, see the word mission and don't yeah. quite get get what right. the gist of the song is which is yeah. <laughs> you know the guy the guy it's not a, it's not some catholic mission someplace it's this is a guy a wealthy guy who uh who who uh, the narrator of the song feels needs a little knocking down a few notches. Yeah. Well, and he's so trying he to burned. feed his family. Yeah. Well, there's that too. Yeah. But um, there's because this a, guy has, yeah, has everything right. This guy is, 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 uh, he's wealthy because he's exploiting all the other yeah. people. Yeah. To me, this almost has a Aaron Copeland 
feel to it. I mean, I don't mean to be arrogant like that, but it's, it's almost like Bernie Toppin took a folk song and turned it into something that was which was much bigger. Again, Bernie Toppin never been to the West. I don't think Aaron Copeland had ever really been to the West, but some of the stuff that Aaron Copeland could evoke just from the, the way that he uh, would arrange songs. To me, this is almost like an arranged folk song. Um, it's, but well, it's just beautiful. We need to mention that Elton John goes nuts on his piano. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, the, this, the, the yeah, section we just played is pretty plotting and deliberate, but yeah. he's going to depart from that. And, yeah, he goes he goes crazy. Yeah. There's, yeah. I think there's a version that goes over 10 minutes that you can find on. I did find it. Yeah, it's, it's like 11 minutes long. He just well, this is a yeah, this is a, a a favorite of his to play live. Yeah, I think that's the only way I'd heard it before was live. It reminds me of what happens with uh, a funeral for the friend. Love lies bleeding off of Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Yeah, some of the same crazy. Gu- I say guitar by default, but crazy <laughs> piano playing. Great song. I one of my favorites on the album. Yeah, it's it's a fantastic song, and again, it just it's you know you know you're you know you've hit it out of the park when when the song's over with you either want to hear it again or you put the album back on. Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I, this is one of those albums that I I tried to set a goal of listening to any of these albums twenty times a, a minimum. I didn't have to do that with with this album because I've been listening to it for a long time. Yeah. I do think I hit twenty, not because of my discipline, but. <laughs> because I enjoy everything so much. I probably listened to this album, of all the albums that I've been listening to that I was not familiar with for this podcast. This was probably the one besides Fountains of Wayne that I've listened to the most. And uh, I, I, I do remember looking forward to Burn Down the Mission because that was the only song I was really familiar with. But my God, it was great. And I started listening to... Uh, other songs or other albums by uh, Elton John, and they just don't quite hold up like this album does. This is a unique, it's slipped in through a unique time, never to be repeated. The closest thing to a re- repetition of this would be uh, Captain Fantastic, which got a little too discoed up. Yep. As, uh, as much as he, I think, had an issue with uh, your song kind of, pigeonholing him uh i think we're all lucky that that song was able to if it did i don't know it's speculation to provoke him into this well and also give this album legs so that that it wasn't like oh well you know this is your third album and it and it sunk so we got some real (laughs) issues with you it didn't sink so i you know I think that was great because you're right. This is this is one of those kind of artistic statements. And I don't like every song on this album, but this, the vast majority of them are just fantastic. Well, we should say a little bit about the album cover. Um, yeah. Why don't you t- tell us about the album cover, Doug? This is a sepia-toned. Is, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a rugged look at an American railroad, railroad station like you'd see in the Old West. Except there's an ad for the Guardian on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. So that was a fun little walk down an album that maybe down doesn't tumbleweed get the, lane. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't get the the recognition it deserves in the modern era, but we all like it. So 
Because of that, we're going to give our recommendation or uh, rating, which we do every at the end of every episode. Uh, just to remind everybody, we do two ratings. One is our personal rating. Will we listen to it again? And the other one recognizes that while something might not be our taste in music, we do recognize the musicianship from it. So we do our critical rating. So I'm going to go to Jam first since he did not pick this album and ask him for his rating on Tumbleweed Connection. Okay, so I'm going to go with my personal rating first do one to five so i'm going to say this is 3.5 for me and i'm going to caution that with i have never really gotten into a elton john album except for uh goodbye yellow brick road there's just always seems even that album seems to have some just some some clunkers on it but this one it's maybe my favorite Elton John album to listen to start to finish. It just slows down for me so much with Love Song and uh, Where to Now, St. Peter. Both of those like if those songs had been replaced by like, Madman Across the Water, just something keep my interest a little bit more. Both of those songs just, I, I lost total interest. As a critic... I'm going to give it a 4.0 because I can see that this was a precursor to some of the things that Elton John and Bernie Toppin could do. I really liked just the the raw power of this album. And I think that a lot of the stuff they did later got glossed over. It got put into production. Uh, I think Paul Buckmaster and his, spring, and his strings are at their best right here. But... Yeah, I I think it's a four zero. It's just far as the as my credit rating. I think it's going to very forward thinking. All right. Well, thank you, Jam. I am going to go next because we always end with the person who picked the album. So it's funny you mentioned Elton John's greatest hits because I've told the story before about getting my uncle's uh, Pinto, and uh, when I was my first car, and uh, it had an eight track player in it. it. Had two eight tracks. It had Thick as a Brick by Jethro Tull and Elton John's Greatest Hits was the other eight track. So. He's been part of my musical DNA for a while. I, unlike Jam, I, I, I think these guys did exactly what they. I don't think this is a precursor to anything. I think this is exactly what they wanted to do with this album. This is the direction they were going. There are a few songs that stray from that that I think make the album less strong than it would be otherwise. Every song that fits within that theme that they were going for. That's that romanticized version of of the American. West, if you will, or America post-Civil War. Every song on this album that sticks with that theme, I think, is remarkable. I I, I guess I'm talking about my, my critics rating right now, although I've kind of mixed um, some other things in. So for a critic, I'm going to give it a four or five. Um, I think this album does exactly what they're trying to do. Um, I, I, and I want... So switching to my personal rating, I do this... find myself doing this a lot. I want to thank Doug for picking this album. Because this is not an album I was very familiar with, and it was unbelievably enjoyable to get to know this album. I'm always struck by an album. Whenever an album hits me right, I, I the same thing happens. I'll wake up in the morning and a song will be stuck in my head. And for me, it was always "Where to Now, St. Peter." <laughs> it's stuck in my head right now. <laughs> and uh, and I don't care what Jam says; he's absolutely wrong about that song. He's um, not just so, wrong; he's a horrible person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give this a four. I'm going to give it a four seven for my personal rating. Uh, all right, Doug, we're going to go to you. 
All right. Well, this uh, I can remember out of all my Elton John albums, uh, I even did have Caribou, whatever that's called. Caribou Station. Yeah. This used to be the one I didn't listen to very much, this and, and Elton John. And then gradually I can see it in my head bouncing up ahead of all the others that had the hits. And then it became one of the only ones that I would consistently return to. On a personal level, I have to give this a 4-8. This is a powerful band playing. The drums are engaging. And Elton John, Tony mentioned this, his voice is capable of so much. It's, yep. It seems like he's putting more air out than any singer. It, it's just a big sound. Uh, as yep. a critic, I think I'm going to ding it just a little bit. I'd probably do a 4-7. But if, if I were stuck at Rolling Stone Magazine, where you can only do 4-5 or five i would give it a five i I think this is a remarkable uh piece of music and it's very original that that it that it is i mean it's it's taking it's it's taking elements from everything that's classically americana and it says hey america look what i found this is yours look how cool it is and he returns something to the americans that it's 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 a great tribute from our friends across the pond. All right. Well, thanks, guys. I think uh, this was a good discussion, and I really enjoyed this. I have a recommendation if anyone is interested in that tonight. We 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 mentioned earlier, <clears throat> excuse me, this podcast called, I guess that's why they call it the Elton John Podcast. And uh, I'm going to recommend that podcast. But in particular, I'm going to recommend episode 38 which is where they talk about Tumbleweed Connection in particular, cover various cover versions of the songs on this album. This guy puts together a version of the album with other artists doing the songs, and it's a pretty fascinating listen. So I recommend that. You can find it on any podcast platform anywhere. So, And you, you can find the list on YouTube if you just want to listen yeah. to all those songs. Yep, but it's worth listening to the guys talk about it, too. It is, and they know a lot. <laughs> You're going to wonder why you ever listen to us when they start <laughs> going into incredible detail yeah. on this album. Yeah, and we well, encourage we, that. We, if, if you're into an album or if you're into a band, we really encourage you to find seek out some guys that uh, know a lot more than we do about. And then tell us about them. Yeah. Yeah. They may not be as charming as us, but they might know. <laughs> they don't have the looks. All right, Tony. For thank, thank you very much for that. Sure. So that wraps it up. For another episode of This is Vinyl Tap, where all the podcasts go to 11, we want to remind you that there are all sorts of ways to uh, get in touch with us and to download our podcast. One way is to look us up on our Facebook page or our Facebook group page. And another way is to email us at tappingvinyl at gmail. You can also uh, leave us a Twitter at... I think it's called or, a tweet. Jim. Oh, yes, a tweet. You can also tweet us at Tapping Vinyl. But the best way to get in touch with us is through our fantastic website, which is www.tappingvinyl.com. You will not believe what you can find up there. There is so much information about groups we've talked about, uh, albums we've talked about, Rare photos, rare outtakes from albums, 
and you just find all sorts of good stuff up there. Yeah, if you want to hear Jimmy Buffett doing once in a lifetime, you can find that on the on yeah. our website. <laughs> or you can hide yourself from that. Actually, it's not that bad. I was I was a little su- surprised by how how good that was. The next episode of This Is Vinyl Tap will feature a band not known by many, but those who do know them are fanatical smitten. fans, smitten with them. We're going to be doing Commander Cody and his Lost Planet Airmen. Lost in the ozone. I'm lost in the ozone again. I'm lost in the ozone again. One drink of wine, two drinks of gin, and I'm lost in the ozone again. Again. (laughs) (laughs) For our host, Doug Cooper, our co host, Tony Slagle, and me, you're very humble producer jonathan jm Rowe. this is vinyl tap where all the podcasts go to 11 and reminding you there goes a well-known gun